turn in your copies of Scripture to 2 Samuel chapter 22. We have progressed to the last few chapters at the end of 2 Samuel. And as I mentioned already today, this particular chapter contains a version of Psalm 18. It's almost identical to that in the uh, Psalter, uh, but slightly different. I'm not going to point out the differences. I'm going to speak about the content, however, and and, uh, emphasize several things that we see here. It's a a lengthy chapter. I'll be reading the whole thing. I'll not be commenting on every verse, but I will draw your attention to, to several of them as we progress through the sermon. Hear once again the very Word of God from 2 Samuel 22. Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, You saved me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. When the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death comforted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from His temple and my cry entered His ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and with darkness under his feet. He rode upon the cherub and flew and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They comforted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyes. With the merciful you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people, 
but your eyes are on the haughty, that you may bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power, and He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back till, all, until they were destroyed and have destroyed them and wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. They looked, but there was none to save. Even to the Lord, but He did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trod them like dirt in the streets, and I spread them out. You have also delivered me from the strivings of my people. You have kept me as the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. The foreigners submit to me as soon as they hear. They obey me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted. The rock of my salvation. It is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to this Psalm of David found at the end of the book of Samuel, we thank you that David attributes to you all strength and might, all majesty and authority, all abilities that he has, even his righteousness which you wrought in him. All this he attributes to you. So Father, help us to learn that lesson as well. That all that we are and have comes from Your holy hands. That You are the One who guides and directs our our feet. You make our paths straight. You lift up the valleys and put down the mountains that we might walk on on level ground. You You spread broad places before us that we might do Your work. And Father, we should always attribute to You these great mercies and graces. As we look into this passage, Lord, goad us to make psalms like this part of our culture. Goad us to follow in David's footsteps, 
proclaiming your praise. Doing so with songs. And we ask this in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Having come to chapter 22 in 2 Samuel, uh, as we are progressing through the life of King David, we've come to a seemingly odd passage at the end of the book. Well, what is odd about this passage? It seems to be misplaced. In verse 1, the psalm tells us that it was composed by David after his deliverance from his enemies and from Saul. Well, that happened some time ago, hasn't it? Why then does it appear here? Instead of, say, chapter 2 following Saul's death when David was anointed by Judah to be their king. Or maybe it should have been inserted in chapter 5 following Ishbosheth's murder when David consolidated the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes. No. Though it was composed earlier, it is properly placed here. As is the case with Moses' psalm at the end of Deuteronomy and Habakkuk's song at the end of his prophecy. Here we see David's psalm at the end of Samuel. And God is teaching us that when He does mighty work in and through His people in their lives, it's time to sing His praises and rejoice. And that's what's happening at the end of 2 Samuel. We don't know actually who composed these books and put them together, but whoever did knew that at the end of this life of David, it was important that the praises of God be established in song for the people of God. And so it's placed properly at the end of this book. And it is an unusual psalm in that it focuses not on David's own uh, circumstances, his heartfelt fears and anxieties, but rather on the deliverance of God Himself. In that sense, it's a messianic psalm as well. And even at the end of the psalm, it attributes this kind of deliverance to the whole lineage of David. And of course, our Savior comes from that lineage. God, in His infinite wisdom, used a very talented composer to pen a wonderful accounting of God's faithfulness to be a deliverer to David, the composer, and his covenant people. And all of this in the midst of an unfaithful King Saul and various enemies of God's covenant people. Therefore, I think we ought to conclude that the placement of this psalm in the book of Samuel is not nearly so important, though properly placed, as are the words that are found in this psalm. And so we're going to take some time to look at those words. The Scriptures teach us, as we read in our call to worship today, that we are to magnify the Lord in our understanding. What does magnify mean? It it means that He is to be made large, yea, very large in our understanding. And in comparison, we are to uh, to be made and shown to be small and impotent in comparison. Yet as David sings... We read these words here in this psalm. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. And we're going to look at some interesting statements in this passage. This passage also helps us to understand a seemingly uh, inconsistency that Scriptures teach us that we Reformed believers often do not understand. 
That dilemma is the tension between our total depravity and being rewarded for our righteousness. The tension between total depravity and being rewarded for our righteousness. And this is found primarily in verses 21 through 28. As I was preparing this sermon, I thought about preaching just on those verses and speaking about that tension and that dilemma. But as I thought about it more, I wanted to bring, bring to you the breadth of this passage. Lastly, I want us to consider that music composition, both the lyrics and the tunes that accompany them, are powerful teachers, reminders, and promoters of who God is and what He is accomplishing in history. Brethren, we are blessed with a musically talented covenant community. As I look over this congregation, many of you play musical instruments or have talented voices to be used for the kingdom. Some of you are lyricists, uh, those who write well. And others are, are gifted in music, writing of music. Well, some of you undoubtedly wonder how you could use that talent for the kingdom of God. Today is a lesson for you. Follow David's lead here as he composes music that magnifies the Lord. And we'll, sh- we'll consider the composition and the making of composition in a few minutes. First, I want to talk about this notion of magnifying the Lord. I can't remember if I've shared this with you before. If I have, please bear with me. But early in the days of Trinity Presbyterian Church, Elder Fout said something to me that God in His providences has implanted in my memory to this day. Sometimes we have those moments, those moments when a sage in our life, whether it be a parent or a grandparent or a teacher, or in this case a peer, says something that is profound that returns in your memory over and over again. That moment for me was when Shea said that our prayers should, quote, make large or magnify our God. Our prayers should make large or magnify our God. Now that may not seem profound to you, but it struck me to the quick. So many times I've recited 34.3, Psalm 34.3, which reads, and we read it earlier today in the call to worship, O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Yet I had not stopped to consider the importance of that word magnify. To magnify God is to promote His largeness, His greatness, His omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. And the consequence of magnifying God as we ought is to make ourselves small. Well, is that not the paradigm of Scripture? In other words, we must agree with John the Baptist in word and deed when he said, He must de- increase and I must decrease. Speaking of our Lord Jesus. Jesus must be magnified and we must decrease. Brethren, yes, God must be magnified and we must be humbled. And that's evident in this psalm by David today. This is what came out of his pen when he crafted this psalm, which uh, makes up our text. God was being magnified and David, the mighty warrior of Israel, was showing humility. 
Consider verses 2 and 3 where David likens God to a rock, a fortress, a shield, a stronghold, and a refuge. Just think about those words. A rock, a fortress, a shield, a stronghold, and a refuge. Those were the things David concentrated on when he started this psalm. He looks upon God as, as steadfast as a rock, a fortress to be hidden in, a shield to protect him against from others, a stronghold where he can hold up and know that he'll be safe, and a refuge. In other words, David is saying, even in the midst of my enemies, God provides for me in my humility. And in rapid succession, David rattles off these, these words, uh, stronghold, fortress, shield, refuge, and interlaced with these are the images in, of David's theology. In those same verses, the Lord is my, is my deliverer, my strength, in whom I will trust, the horn of my salvation and my Savior. All of these coincide with him being a rock, a fortress, a shield, a stronghold, and a refuge. The rapid succession of these short, pithy words could have been sung to eighth notes, or maybe sixteenth notes, or possibly bold, plodding quarter notes. And for those of you that don't understand music, that's how music's written. These words were put to tunes. And David is, at the very beginning of this psalm, exalting the Lord and showing that he puts his trust only in the Lord with these short, pithy words that come in rapid succession. I suspect that these words were sung loudly and strongly, maybe double forte for you musicians. And when we get to heaven, I would like to meet David and hear the tune that he used to sing these words. I might be completely wrong. It may have been a very different tune. It may have been more like the tune we just sang when we sang psalm, this psalm uh, in our worship. These very verses. Well, in verse 4, we see a transition in the psalm. Because God is all those things in verses 2 and 3, He is worthy to be praised in verse 4. Such magnificence as is described in verses 2 and 3 cannot be hidden. It cannot be forgotten or ignored. It must be proclaimed with praise. And David says that in verse 4. Then in the beginning of verse 5 and through the remainder of the psalm, David recounts those attributes found in verses 2 and 3 with some particularity and some detail. And in verses 5 and 6, David speaks of his unspeakable danger. It seems to be the beginning of a ballad. And in verse 7, God takes notice of the peril in which David is encompassed and the mighty deliverer arises. Hear these words again from the passage, beginning in verse 5. When the ways of death surrounded me, this is David speaking of his circumstance, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry entered his ears. Then verse 8, 
Then the earth shook and trembled. When God's anointed called out to him for relief, the Father heard him and came to his rescue. The Lord thunders from heaven, verse 14, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The fountains of the earth were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. This was no ordinary deliverance. The whole earth was shaken when God's anointed needed deliverance. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because He delighted in me. God's love and compassion, the apple of His eye, the anointed one of Israel, David the king, was the object of His care and mercy and grace. And he came to his aid. He rescued him. Well then, beginning in verse 21, we have this hard notion that we Reformed believers have to grapple with. Consider these words. This isn't what we normally hear. The Lord renew me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He's recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless before him and kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyes. With the merciful you shall show mercy." With, the blameless, with a blameless man, you shall show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. Brethren, when we read this passage, I can't help but be reminded of our dear brother, John Pierce, who was who is now with the church triumphant and we rejoice with him there. When he would greet us, he would often ask, how are you doing? And if you responded, oh, I'm good, how would he respond? His reply was quick. He would say, the Scriptures say there's none that doeth good. No, not one. He would quickly put you in your place. He was right. That is what Romans 3.12 says. But how does that coincide with what we're reading here? The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, David said. According to the cleanness of my hands, He's recompensed me. How do we reconcile? There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And God is rewarding me according to my righteousness? John Pierce's response is even spoken today by many of you. If somebody says, oh, I'm good, I often hear in our congregation, remember what John Pierce said? There's none that doeth good. No, not one. 
Well, this, this uh, seeming dilemma, does this mean that David's salvation is based on his own merits? Some have actually argued that. And how could you do that after what David did with Bathsheba and to Uriah the Hittite and, and so on? We know that David was not always faithful. He was largely faithful. And he wrote this psalm before he had committed his sin with Bathsheba. So some of these thoughts are probably in David's mind, I have not in large measure violated the laws of God. I have kept them. And so he's writing these in, in, in regard to that. Well, I want to turn us back and remember in verses 2 and 3 that David had been brought into salvation by his deliverer, the horn of his salvation. Why the term horn there? Why is a horn important there? Because that was the instrument to summon people to safety. The horn is blown to warn of danger and to gather God's people together in safety. And the horn of salvation summons people away from impending judgment by God. And this is to be this means to be called out of darkness into God's marvelous light, that of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by a blast from the horn of salvation. You see, David needed salvation just as much as you and I did. And when that salvation is brought to a man, whose righteousness is imputed to him? Is it his own righteousness? His own merits? No. In fact, the Bible teaches us completely otherwise. If it were our own merits, the psalmist says, who could stand? If that was imputed to us, who could stand? David is looking to his Savior as we do for his righteousness, that which is imputed to him. He had followed God in faithfulness during those years of being pursued by Saul and by the Philistines. Several occasions he had the opportunity to take the life of Saul and he refused. He says, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. He dodged the spears that were thrown at him, but he would not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed, even though Saul had, been, had worked evil toward David. So I believe the tension melts away when we realize that righteousness that David speaks of here is an imputed righteousness and not his own righteousness. Then in verses 29 through 51 are continued praises for God's magnificent work. Like that word magnificent? What's the, what's the root word of that? To magnify? Again, God is to be made large in our thinking and we are to be made small or humble. And each of these verses from 29 through 51 speaks of the attributes of God and His mighty, gracious, merciful protection of David, defender and deliverer of David. And then David poses a rhetorical question in verse 32 that sums it all up in my opinion. And who is God? except the Lord. And who is God except the Lord? He is wholly different than we are. He is great. By the word 
by his own word, the power of his own word, he brought all that exists into existence from nothing. Ex nihilo. And he sustains all that exists for his own glory and the good of his people. And David is experiencing that very thing. So I ask you, brethren, in your own mind, who is God except the Lord? His provisions far exceed our expectation. When He rises up to protect us, it's not just with a little help. The whole earth will shake because we are the apple of His eye. Well, I want to bring us to an application. This is going to be an unusual application today. It's true that not all of our congregation are musically gifted. That is a true statement. But that doesn't mean that we aren't appreciative of music and that it shouldn't have an important place in our lives even if we're not musically gifted. And those who are musically gifted have differing gifts. Some have lyrical gifts. Some have gifts with their voices. Others have gifts with instrumentation where they've taken dominion over a violin or a flute or a piano or some other instrument. At one time in my life, I had taken dominion over the trombone. Doubt that that would happen today. I tried to take dominion over a guitar once. Didn't do so well. Um, But I want to make an application here. Notice that at the end of this book, the writer of the books of Samuel places this particular psalm at the end of David's life. As if to say, this is the marker that we should look at David with. And it's a song. It's not a, it's not a monument in the town square that one generation applauds and the next generation tears down. No, this is a, this is a monument that's been placed in the holy writ of Scripture on David's behalf. It's as if the writer is saying, look at this. This is how we are to follow our God. And this David is an example. Now, I want to be quick to say there are times in David's life we don't want to follow him. But this time, this is how we ought to do it. And it ought to be part of our culture that we make songs that reflect that kind of living. We should create songs as well that bring honor to God, His mighty works, that magnify Him and not ourselves. So, with this worthy example from David before us, he's come through a prolonged period of danger and testing. God was his mighty fortress and his deliverer, and David responds to those generous mercies by composing a psalm of rejoicing and praise. Brethren, we should do the same. Now, some of you have endured significant hardships and God has delivered you. When that happens, try to compose a song about it. Maybe you're not a lyricist. Maybe you can't do that. Maybe you're not given to to writing poetry at our our, uh, 
talent show, we heard some people who are gifted at those things. Might I suggest you go get help? Go to somebody who has that talent and explain to them what has happened and say, we need to make a song about how God delivered me. Not to puff me up, but to show the magnificence of God Himself in our midst, in the midst of His people. So for those of you who enjoy composing lyrics, trust me, there's plenty of material just in our covenant community. Plenty. I've been privileged to hear your your stories, your lives, to to know what God's brought you through, and, and in some cases, what God is bringing you through. And it's not quite over yet. Well, now would be a good time to start that song. Because at some point, that lesson will end, and you'll be able to finish it for the kingdom of God. Now, some of our people are gifted in the music, the tunes. I tried to give you a taste of what I thought the beginning of this psalm would have been like in terms of music. The, the rapid succession of those words in verses 2 and 3 of uh, the description of God of being a stronghold, a fortress, uh, the place of, of hiding, the refuge. And that coupled with the, the person whom David puts his trust in, his theology goes right along with this stronghold and this refuge and this rapid succession and how it might, might be heard in music. I, I can't help but think about Handel's Messiah, how Handel puts uh, these long passages from the Old Testament, uh, from Jeremiah and from Isaiah, in, into uh, these tremendous, tremendous, compelling songs. The Hallelujah Chorus. Um, well, the, some of the titles escape me now, but they are very well known to you, I'm sure. Um, and he uses the music to, to, to portray the very things that you're, you're saying or reading. Uh, he, when he talks about mountains, the music goes up. When he talks about, about valleys, they go, it goes way down. When, it's, when he talks about darkness, you, you get dissonance in the music. And when he talks about the joy of things, there's just this, uh, the beauty of these chords that come through. Uh, these major chords, some minor chords, but mostly major chords. All of that drives you to magnify the Lord in your mind. To set Him apart as greater than we. Well, as I've mentioned, some of our people have endured and are enduring significant hardships. And God is their deliverer. So we should compose these things in song. And you writers of music should come alongside those lyricists and bring that music for the benefit of our people. I would love to sing those things in worship someday. Those compositions. I really would. That's what we sing when we sing the Psalms. God has created 
deliverance for His people and it's all recorded in the Psalms and He's doing the same for us today. I would love to see that in our worship. Remember that David was motivated by his composition from his salvation. From his salvation. God had magnified Himself to David in salvation and David wants to magnify God to the generations that follow in that very same salvation. And so brethren, is God magnified in us and in our culture? Is He prominently displayed as greater than we? Is that, is that, what, is that the tune that's on our lips? The, the proclamation that comes from our mouths? Our sacrifice of praise? Is that what we do? I hope it is. And let's do it in an even greater measure. He is to be exalted. I encourage us to get, get to work in magnifying the Lord in song. Let us pray together.